Hello and welcome to another edition of Heart of Healthcare. My name is Dr. Jan Bonhoeffer, and these podcasts are about helping physicians restore balance in their lives so we can co-create a medical system that benefits everyone. A quick reminder that you can find more information about our nonprofit, Heart-Based Medicine, and the work we do to support healthcare professionals at heartbasedmedicine.org. Welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast series two, episode five, when we're asking leaders in the healthcare profession how they establish a real, authentic, heart-centered and human-centered working culture. In this week's episode of Heart of Healthcare podcast, we're pleased, really pleased to welcome Michelle Trosset and Tracy Christofferson from Missing Logic whose goal is to help healthcare professionals reconnect with an authentic and passionate sense of self by stripping away layers of negative beliefs and habits so they become heart-centered leaders within the medical profession. Hello and welcome, Michelle and Tracy. Thank you. And I'm also delighted to welcome back my regular fellow podcast panelist and all the way from Hawaii, Dr. Dan Dinenberg. Dr. Dan Denenberg was one of the original physicians at One Medical and a clinical instructor at UCSF. And he has extensive training in functional medicine with double board certification in family medicine and integrative holistic medicine. Hello and welcome, Dan. Hi, Jan. It's a pleasure to be back. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Tracy. Looking Hi, forward Dan. to our discussion. Hi, oh, Dan. So Tracy and Michelle, we're really curious. Let's get right into it. And I would like to begin by asking you to describe what your end goal is. What for you is an authentic heart-based leader in the healthcare profession? Michelle, you want to start or Tracy? Who wants to start? Oh, I can start. This is Tracy. And um, I think for us, this is a, this is a person that is 100% grounded in the things that matter most to them. And they, um, they live really with grit and intention and wisdom. And these are really characteristics that, that our, um, our coaching clients, uh, become because they go through our thriving, resilient, unstoppable, uh, healthcare coaching program. And this is a result of that, that coaching program. And it really starts with helping them to make, you know, mindful choices when they live with these characteristics, then they're making mindful choices, the choices that stem from the things that matter most. And they are clear about who they need to be, to be a heart centered leader. So they live with integrity, you know, they're, they're self-integral. They are um, authentic and open-hearted, of course. And, uh, you know, this, this clarity that they have around who they are, who they're being as a heart-centered leader, um, also makes them a leader who does the right thing. So not just does things right, but does the right thing. So they're making choices from not only their mind, but their heart. So they've got the two connected when it comes to these challenging decisions that they have to make um, or in caring for patients and really connecting with the patients that they care for. That sounds amazing. Say, go ahead. It sounds amazing. Let me ask a quick question here because 
I can imagine that when you work with hospitals or with individuals, I guess that individuals seeking your help, seeking your advice, already have acknowledged that it would be valuable to make a step and to transform in some kind of way, to evolve in some kind of way. When you work with organizations, you'll meet this mix that you're probably very well aware of, where some people go like, that sounds amazing. That's exactly what I was looking for. And others go like, what on earth is this stuff? You know, I have so much to do. I have piles of work and now I'm going to do some hard dropping, you know, or what is it that you want me to do now? You like on top of all the things that I have to do already. So, so what does that mean? How do you explain sovereignty and dropping from the head into the heart to those that may be a little bit skeptical? Yeah, I'll take that. This is Michelle. And actually we know that very well. It's such a great point in question um, because they may have been voluntold to get this coaching, right? (laughs) And what we have found is, especially right now, Jan, because of the pandemic, is they're so busy, they're not even thinking about themselves anyway. But when we start and they begin to realize the benefits this is going to be to them personally, to actually have time to stop and to think about themselves, they we watch them almost transform in that first beginning when we start working with them. And they realize I am on this coaching program with all these other leaders that I work with, but I never see them because we don't talk to each other the way we used to. And then they get excited, like this could really be good. This could be good for me, but it could be good for us as a team. And what we've learned is it's how you introduce it. So that we're authentic as coaches, we create that space for them so that they can settle into it and we don't rush into anything. Um, And we help them think about after they're exposed to it, what their intention is, and then also to share a little bit more about their own stories. What's their heart-centered story? Because again, they often don't have the time and space to do that. And then I feel like we get momentum with them. And then after a while, they're like, I wish I would have known this 30 years ago. (laughs) I think we too, we ask them to suspend disbelief. So we start right out with acknowledging where they are. We meet them where they're at. And we just say, just trust us for a few more sessions. Just trust us until we get started and suspend disbelief and just be open. And they're willing to do that. And once we get them rolling, then they're in. That's a big ask to ask suspending disbelief from a population that has been trained in doubt, right? That has been trained to not believe, that has been trained to question and and find the loopholes and detect where things are not flying well. And criticism, right, is is very, very high up on the skill set of healthcare professionals. So what did you find was the most powerful it's say transition help when you start your courses. How do you actually help? Is there a practice or an exercise or an experience that you offer where you feel, ah, this is really when people are willing to let go of that doubtful bit and that stressed part of themselves and really drop into an openness and, and an open state of mind? Yeah. One of the things that we do is we have an exercise that we do with them called the stepping stone exercise. And Tracy and I have adapted it and evolved it through the years. 
And it's an invitation to help them step back and really think about their milestones they've had as a medical professional and as a leader. What were the things that really impacted them? What, was the, what were the things that, went, that made them go this way in their journey versus that way in their journey? And what was really helpful? What were the key supports that came along in their journey that made a difference? And again, we find that they don't often time pause and reflect. And then we have them share it with one other colleague or in small groups, more of a safe environment. Um, but that's really a lot of magic happens with that way to just introduce them um, and yeah. have them form relationships. I'm yeah, sure I, that I think what I would add is I think that helps them remember who they are. Right. Yeah. Or who they've been. May not be who they are in a moment, but it's really led up to who they are, or it's the essence of who they are at the heart, at the center of who they are being as a being. Yeah. Has this to do with, if you like, the initial spark, the initial motivation of why did I become a healthcare professional and kind of going back to that primary intention, mm -hmm. reconnecting with that, and then kind of seeing, whoa, what happened, kind of reviewing what happened? How did I deviate from that? Or how did I, where were those crossroads where I took, where, where I took a turn that, that felt important, but really led me a bit on a, on a side route. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's actually amazing what gets uncovered with that exercise. Mm. And, and you can have worked even side by side with the fellow physician for 10 years and learn something you never, ever knew. Uh, so it's, it's really powerful and almost always yet, it does bring them back to why did I choose this in the first place? Mm. Why did I go into this specialty that does come out? Mm -hmm. And I think when they share, it's that vulnerability. So we're inviting the vulnerability and those that are willing to start there and be vulnerable, open the door for mm -hmm. others to share as well. And so they're, they're really sharing some significant transformational critical times in their life with each other, um, you know, and, uh, and so I think that that really opens up the door for the group as a whole and for each individual it welcomes it more than we can welcome it as coaches, I think. What I think is so incredible in that welcoming is that <clears throat> those that become more vulnerable start to share that with their patients. And so the work that you're doing is rippling out into the world. In my own experience, and it's fun because I've gone through my own process that sounds very similar to something that you're holding. You're holding that space. And some of us have just had either an innate capacity or just met people along the way that opened us up to these experiences of connecting with intention and wisdom and inner knowing. There is that process that I've known and looking back, like you said, there are these um, moments in my life where I'm like, oh, I am fulfilling that meaning and that purpose and the reason that I'm doing that. And that when I look at now what I get to do, it's a creative version of these years of training. And I can only imagine that that is what your clients are going through, where you start to feel like, wow, I am living in this 
uh, purpose in this meaningful life and I am able to share and be of service. So on the other side of that, as a physician that's gone through an entire evolution, it's magical. And so what you're saying resonates in a very deep and powerful way. I think it gets back to the beliefs that Tracy mentioned. You know, you might have a belief. It has to be a certain way. My career trajectory and what I'm supposed to be doing, what you're bringing, Daniel, is it it could be a lot of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. You can turn that around to an empowering belief. From this idea of, sorry, the suspending disbelief, I, I think that that matters because you move away from the analytical mind of the structure and you open into the abundance of love and compassion and gratitude. And then it's the perspective shift of just, well, what I get to be with other people and help them transform their lives. And that's what I do for a living. That's how I make money. It's like this entire process that changes within you as the previously as a physician and now as the healer, it's a really powerful process. And, and you've beautifully highlighted in, in what it takes or how important it is to refine the passion and, and to empower that sense of self. And, and you talked about integrity. So how do you, once we get to see that both parts are part of me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and once I get to see that only if they work together, I'm going to be a, a, an authentic human being. What creates that integration? So what allows me to see what looks like a conflicting set of values to see them as a complementary set of values? How do you, how yeah. do you communicate that? So um, one of the ways that we do that is we actually help people map it out and they mm. create a blueprint for themselves. So once they identify kind of the tension that they're working with, we really help them to make it visible. So the thing is, we know that these tensions are working on us all the time. We feel the tension, but until they put it down and make it concrete and they write it out on paper, then it becomes real. Then they begin to understand that there are benefits to both, right? So there are benefits to both poles, whatever it is. Let's just say our professional life and our personal life. Let's just talk about, because everybody's grappling, all professionals grapple with, right? Their professional life and their personal life. So I recognize and I write down what the benefits are, the outcomes that I truly want in my professional life, the outcomes I truly want in my personal life. And then I recognize that if I overemphasize one and I neglect the other, there's going to be downsides. I'm going to experience negative consequences. And we identify what those are. What is it that I experience when I'm over-focused on my professional life and I'm neglecting my personal life and, and same for the other, right? What's, what's the downside or the negative consequence I experience? That makes it real because they have those experiences. Now, when they see it kind of mapped out, they see how those things are actually connected and that when I am over-emphasizing something, this is exactly what I experience and I can avoid that by putting together an action plan that helps me to get the positive outcomes almost all the time and experience very little of the negative outcomes. And once it gets in front of them and they can see it, then they understand how that tension or that energy works between the pair. 
And that's what's really important about what we call dynamic balance is you have to have a healthy respect for the energy that is sitting between these two interdependent pairs, whether they're values or perspective or points of view, they are connected to each other. One moves, the other moves. So if you overfocus on one, the energy is naturally going to over time drop down and you're going to, you're going to lose those positive benefits that you're trying to get. So that right there is like the biggest aha they have. And then they know they're in control of that. That's the thing that they can control and they can um, identify some early warning signs so they can course correct quickly and stay in that positive outcome. So it's that whole process of mapping and visualizing that really makes it, um, it helps them to understand what they've been experiencing most of their life and they couldn't put words to it. Tracy, do you see that just the mapping and visualizing that your clients have that aha moment on their own, or is it then you facilitate them to see it and understand it? Or is it just even the process of going through it, they can see what you're calling that dynamic balance? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we have to help them to understand what it is. So, you know, we start out with just teaching them what polarities are with, with a, a breathing exercise, because inhaling and exhaling is a polarity. We have to inhale and we have to exhale. They're, they're interdependent. We can't just inhale or we'll die. If we only exhale, we'll die. So we have to inhale and exhale. And the greater purpose is to sustain life. Every polarity is like that. Every polarity is exactly the same, except we have to manage the polarities. When it comes to breathing, our body does that for us automatically until it doesn't. And then we have to intervene, right? <laughs> As health professionals, but on a day-to-day -day basis, we've got that dynamic. We're inhaling, we're exhaling. There's this really great flow and balance and it happens naturally. And we kind of start with that kind of metaphor so they can get it in their heads, how it works and how interconnected they are and how important the relationship is. Um, and so we start there. And then I think it's the reflection part, Dan, when they have the opportunity to reflect and to build that map out with their own personal perspectives and experiences, then it really sinks in. Oh my gosh, this is what's been happening to me for, you know, however long, right? My whole career sometimes uh, for the last two years in some cases, right? It just depends. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so um, something that I observe, you know, there's, there's the so-called work-life balance. And it looks like, you know, families at home works in hospital or in clinics or practice or whatever. And that's the spread to take. That's the polarity at hand. And then we could ask the question, what is it that I want to create overall in my life? So we're kind of moving away from polarity to like a triangle mm -hmm. where we're seeing that there's a third place that actually allows both to unite. And then whether I create what I want to create at home or I create what I want to create at work, it just makes it a different scene for the same, for the same thing that I want to create. And that sometimes is helpful for me when within work. Yes. So for example, there is one part of me is a perfectionist, wants to have everything right and exactly right and a bit better. <laughs> because I owe that to my patient, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And then there's another part that is, um, I'm not good enough. And these two parts work really well together. 
they're actually best friends, right? I'm not good enough. And, oh, yes, you've got to do it much better. So they're very good friends. But then there's another set who are like on the other side of the, of the equation where there is, um, it's all right, enough now. Okay, like I've given everything. I'm tired. This is all I can give. There you go. That's the end of what I can contribute. So somebody's kind of self-content or, oh, I've learned this, you know, I know what is right for you, dear patient. So a little bit of an arrogant self-content part. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the perfectionist is the, um, is the procrastinator, right? This is something I don't really want to do. And uh, I'm just, I'm not applying perfectionism to this bit of my work. Right? So there, there are these different personality parts that can be in conflict and create a a polarity, a a conflict that needs integration. Mm. Is this something that you see in healthcare professionals addressed? Is this something you see coming up, like conflicting personality parts while at work? Well, you, you bring up a lot of really great points. And I would say that the overarching kind of triangle is the greater purpose. Why do these two polarities exist in the first place? Huh. So if we just kind of step back yeah, and look at personal life, professional life, you don't, you don't want to look them at separate. You want an awesome quality thriving life. And some of it's going to come from your personal life. And some of it's going to come from your professional professional life. And one thing that polarities teach us is all of us have a preference pole. So there can be a little bit of conflict, internal conflict. If I prefer one pole over the other, which is a normal thing. And as I listen to you talk, there are other polarities that impact, uh, impact, you know, like a, a bigger polarity. And um, so for you, it could even be uh, directive decision-making and shared decision-making. And sometimes mm-hmm. you might be in the mood just to make directive decision-making, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you have to balance that with, no, it's also participative decision-making. And when you get really good at understanding the tension, you kind of know when to lean into one over the other, depending on what's going on. So I, what I'm hearing you say is there could be these conflicts or tensions within a bigger scope of personal life and professional life. And Tracy, I don't know if you add anything to that. Well, I think what's coming up for me, and I, as I think back to the heart-centered leader or professional, yeah. is the balance of the masculine and the feminine. <laughs> and, you know, um, it, it's it's taking the best of both. It's being as much of one as you are of the other, depending on the context of the situation, right? It's taking control at times in, and being flexible in other times. Um, it's leveraging logic and intuition, you know? So it's kind of leaning into these different aspects of yourself is what I was kind of picking up from you, Jan, is, you know, we have these different aspects of ourselves Um, And how do we leverage those? And sometimes, you know, um, we need to lean more into one than we do. Sometimes logic is what we have to move forward with, right? When we have to make some decisions, we need to use logic. And other times we need intuition. And I think this is what is beautiful about polarities is it's not 50% one and 50% the other. It's knowing when I need to lean more heavily in one direction, when I really need to leverage that energy or that strength that I have 
Um, and never let go of the other though. Never totally stop being intuitive. Never totally stop, you know, being flexible. But in this instant, I'm going to lean more this way because this is what's called for in the moment. But I live and embody both. And I think a heart-centered leader does that. They, they embody both the feminine and the masculine aspects as they, you know, move through their careers and as they, you know, they lead and they care for patients and families. That's exactly what I notice happening as an integrative holistic healer that does a lot of functional medicine. You're looking at all of these different ecosystems within the body. And so that dynamic balance starts to happen when I look at, let's say, the gut brain interface. And so you're looking at that and you might be focused more entirely on nutrition and macro micronutrients and all of the uh, microbiome in order to look at mental health. And it feels like you might be doing, oh, we're doing 95% of this, but as you're holding the patient and I'm working as a physician guide, bringing them through, when things start to find alignment, everything else starts working. And it's that fundamental symbiosis when everything is firing on all cylinders that someone feels the most alive and the most healthy. And so that's, Basically, where I use my expertise is, is they're coming to me to say, hey, where do, what lever do we push on right now to create that embodied health feeling? And that's really exciting. One of the things to me, and I'm so excited to talk to you guys, and Jan and I have always in a heart-based medicine trying to figure out is how do you create long-lasting heart-based systematic change in our profession, because healthcare needs this. And so we're talking about, but how do we start to talk about this dynamic balance and bring that into healthcare? Yeah, well, just like we have a dynamic balance effect uh, framework, Daniel, for the individual leaders, we also have one for healthcare organizations and we call it the healthy healing organization. So Tracy and I recognize it's all about the culture. And you have to have a culture that supports it. And so we put into place different ways that we can help the organization. Um, And one of the pillars that we work with organizations on is people. So it goes back to the people. Organizations are made up of people. And how can we really help support their professional development, their personal development? And again, I think heart-centered leaders know that that's important. Um, So that's one thing that we do. Um, And then we also look at their processes. What do they have? in place today that supports healthy work environments, that supports heart-centered leadership. They might have some things that are really adding to it that we would want them to continue, but there may be things in their culture or work environment that inhibits, inhibits it. So we can point that out as well as we work with them. And then, um, and then also it's about, it's about monitoring and measuring. So we've identified crux polarities or tensions that exist in every organization that wants to thrive and be healthy. And we actually, through a polarity assessment tool, can measure where they sit 
with those polarities. So again, it makes it visual for them. They can see where they sit in the downside, and then we can help them put an action step in place, uh, like a, a strategic plan of how they can really thrive in um, all of those different variables. So it goes back to culture. Then the other thing I would add to that is in healthcare, we have to approach it in education and practice. Because that's a big thing too. If we go after just helping to create these environments that support heart-centered leadership and um, healthy healing organizations, but we don't teach students this new way of thinking, this new way of being, we know we're going to be having the same conversation 30 years from now again. <laughs> so that's the other big thing we have to address uh, as in healthcare is education and practice. And that's a polarity. And that's a polarity. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> that's uh, that's actually a major opportunity. I feel is because here we don't need to change culture so much, but we can actually foster and and motivate into a culture that is yet to be established. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, who are the teachers in this? So, um, do you see a chance that right now, say in the history of of your mission? <laughs> you're coming into healthcare organizations as coaches. So from the outside of the team. Mm -hmm. And do you see that, or what, what do you see does it take that there are more and more healthcare leaders within the healthcare system so that it becomes self-sustainable? That yeah. the, the, the messages that you're teaching and the skills that you're, that you're teaching how can we see that they are actually taught within the medical schools and that that they become part of the curriculum rather than an extra bit that you can do as a voluntary or voluntold thing once you're done with your training? Yeah. Well, we've been working with leaders in both academia and practice. And I think it's the, again, it's another interdependent pair that um, working with the individual at the personal level, because change begins there in an organization or in an institution, in a system, it begins at the individual level. So I think our initial work with individuals to help them develop this polarity intelligence um, and leverage it at a personal level first helps them to feel and gain, start to gain that competency in it and then apply it more broadly in whatever organization or system they're a part of. And when we can walk that journey with them and help them do their own personal transformation first, or at least get it started, right? Then they're all like, I think, Daniel, you mentioned earlier, it's rippling out. So as soon as they start learning, they start teaching because they can see the power of it. They start to spread the word. And when we can, you know, balance both the system structure changes that will support it and the people, then I think that's the combination that we're finding is really um, helpful. And we're at a point in history right now that's unprecedented. There's awareness like there never has been before of the toxicity of the challenges professionals are just drained. Mm -hmm. They're exhausted. They're burned out. Um, they're stretched beyond their means and something has to change. And we had a, an executive leader just this last week say, you know, and I'm part of this, I'm part of the, responsible for this, 
but they're not fully responsible, right? Because every person owns their own well-being, but collectively we own the cultures we work in. And as leaders, we own the systems that, you know, those cultures are a part of. So I think it's this both and again, that's mm-hmm. getting us to that place in this point in time of the readiness for it. That's making a big difference. And my greatest hope is that once they understand this, then they'll also know that you will always have to be vigilant about it. Like <laughs> it, it'll never go away. It's almost like, you know, Daniel, your example of the mind and gut, once people understand that and you're helping them with that, it's not like you can walk away and just let the mind take over again, or let you, you always have to have that awareness. And, um, we're hoping, and what we're striving to do is just have it be an unconscious competence of leaders. So they'll intuitively almost know we need to course correct. Uh, that's, what's going to make sustainable sustainability happen. It needs to be as prevalent in our thinking as problem solving is right now. We look at everything as a problem and we're taught to, to solve the problems that people come to us with. We're taught to solve the problems of organizations as leaders. Um, but not every challenge is a problem. Most of them are polarities and they're interdependent pairs. And until you can manage it, the one thing about polarities is that you're guaranteed 100% you're going to fail over time if you neglect one of the poles in a polarity. So they're predictable. It's like having your own magic mirror, so to speak, right? Like you can just see what's going to happen because you know how it works. Once you identify the pair, you know exactly what's going to happen if you take this action or you don't take this action. And uh, so it's predictable. And that's, I think, what makes it so powerful. Isn't this amazing that what what you're doing um, with your work for decades now is promoting health. Mm-hmm. And that means you're actually changing paradigm from treating disease, for example, treating burnout mm-hmm. to, you know, which to me is a, you know, if, if a company needs a burnout treatment program or a burnout counseling program, then we've kind of missed something 10 years before, right? So some, something fundamental needs to change. So I'd rather like to see an organization to not need a burnout prevention program, but to actually introduce what, what you're doing. So how, to, how do we keep balance? So but right now, reality is that you come into teams and you work with teams where there are polarities and imbalance. Mm-hmm. And what is it that you see is of most interest? So when you talk into the listening of your clients, what do you see is what they're interested in? Are they interested in, in fixing the problems that they have in the hospital, like staff retention, like patient satisfaction? Are they trying to solve problems right now? Or are they actually ready to hear and promote health? Because that's what they're recognizing is important. Well, I think it's both right now. Mm-hmm. They're definitely mm-hmm. trying to solve problems because that's the only lens they've ever worn. That's all they know about until they meet us most for most part. <laughs> and then we help them put on a new lens, right? But so they want us up, but they also, as I said before, I think this is an unprecedented time and they're recognizing this needs to be about health. This isn't just about these things we focused on before. And the reason we're in the situation 
is we have not been managing the tensions of the polarities that are present in our organizations. And when they can look through that lens and see, yes, we have burnout and we have all these challenges because we weren't paying attention to this because it wasn't a part of our strategy to begin with. And so we've neglected some areas and the hope that we're bringing is the awareness that now you can't just swing back the other way and give all your attention to the thing that you didn't give attention to and drop what you've been doing, right? Like you've got to do both. And so I Mm -hmm. think that there's that awareness and a knowledge that we cannot do what we've done before. If we keep doing what we've done before, we're going to keep getting what we've got. And this is not going to work. And because of the stress and strain on the healthcare system at large, you know, they're recognizing this is, this is, we've got to rewrite everything. Like Mm -hmm. we've got to totally transform and do things differently to care for the practitioners, to create healthy environments, because we can't sustain this. We can't continue to do this to the practitioners. Yeah. I would just add to that. There is a readiness that we haven't experienced before um, because of the exhaustion. And I think leaders of healthcare systems recognize they can't do this internally either because everyone is so exhausted and it takes a lot to as a leader to even at, you know, as a provider, as a leader, to be listening to everyone else about what's happening and you're being empathetic and you're listening. So it's hard to turn that around and then help your organization heal or help your team heal. So yeah, there's a readiness to do things differently, but I also think there's a readiness uh, in, in realizing that they're going to need support in doing that. I totally understand it at the individual level and the systemic level and how it spreads and how... Ultimately, this is a prevention strategy. What I'm still trying to wrap my head around and my heart around right now is if institutions have to wait until it's completely broken. I mean, it is an unprecedented time, but do we need more suicides? Do we need more burnout? And I I mean, we're all on this call talking about preaching the same resonant understanding, but at some level, there is something that's stuck because they haven't looked at these polarities and sort of waiting for even more. And I'm trying to get this going now as you are and spread this like wildfire so everyone understands that we are ready and this is the time. So I guess just the question is from the inside of these institutions and from the sort of systemic level, what is the language that is the convincing or the understanding that this is the time? Well, I was going to say there's a metaphor that I think is pretty powerful that's been resonating with the decision makers. And when you listen to the language of the health professions and the leaders is they're overburdened, they're exhausted, they're burned out, they can't keep their head above water, they're drowning. So the question to ask is, when is the best time to throw a life ring to someone who's drowning? When is the best time to step up and do the right thing for your 
leaders, your providers, before it is too late, before there is more suicides, before more people walk out? I mean, what healthcare system are we going to have left? So there's a lot on the table right now. And that's, um, that's a metaphor that Tracy and I have been thinking a lot about and have actually been using, like, don't wait until it's too late. And, um, for some people, it's what grabs them. Like, yeah, that makes so much sense. Why would I throw a life ring when they're already gone? Makes sense to me too. It's if we can throw that lifeline and connect to their heart and connect to humanity, that's just what we need to do at this point. I'm so proud of what you guys are doing. And it's so resonant with our message and mm -hmm. what Jan and I talk about all the time. Well, and I think, Dan, you know, I, I, I think we're hearing the words from the people too. Like, I think, you know, sometimes you got to break down before you can break through. And I think we're at the breakdown point. I think people are just at that broken place. And, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, we have to get to that place. Um, and I, and I have said to Michelle from the beginning, if the pandemic did anything for us, it's about moving us to where we need to be. We would never take the actions that we're going to take now if we, things would have continued the way they were. And so I think it's, you know, it's been a hardship. It's been really difficult for everybody, but I believe that there, there's a reason for it. And if there is one in healthcare, I think it's really the huge wake up call that, you know, we cannot continue. There won't be anybody left to care for people. And it's so important when we, we all know that at times of stress, at times of breakdown, that's not necessarily time to learn. That's the time when we're in fight and flight and survival mode. And when typically we're shutting down and we're just focusing on one single outcome, kind of survival. And so if we're actually able to create spaces like you do, yeah. that are safe spaces where it's okay to let go and step out of survival mode and go into learning mode and come back to be, you know, look, take a step back and take a beginner's mind. That's just so incredibly helpful. What I wonder is that because for some, for some, there's actually not a lot of energy left in the battery. <laughs> and so now if I start learning, I start seeing, and you talked about changing the lenses. Mm -hmm. So the starting to see means you're introducing the culture change that you want to introduce, but that sometimes can lead to culture shock. Mm. because the team that I've worked with is now not working on the same elbow, competitive, abusive, complaining, whatever, mobbing, whatever the situation might've been that was unbearable mm -hmm. mode. So now I'm still with the same people that I may know for two years, five years, 10 years, and we've established patterns of interaction so here are these coaches coming in, providing a safe space. And everybody for a minute goes, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be nice? And then do you sometimes see that there's actually a bit of a kind of that, that these teams are actually shaken up and there's a, there's a real need for coaching these teams through this transition phase? Yeah, mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. I, they're, yeah. they're learning things about themselves and about each other that they didn't have any idea existed, right? And that's why we do teams. So we only do individuals. But then you need to work with the teams and we recommend they're not just the teams that they work with every day, that they're teams from across the organization. So they're engaging with people that they didn't know before as well, right? Mm -hmm. So 
we can spread this beyond. So it's not just the finite teams that they may work in every day. Um, and they're learning together. So that's why our programs aren't just a short program. They, they, they are fairly lengthy. They take time because transformation takes time and people need that, you know, that coaching on an ongoing basis so they can go out into the real world and come back with the challenges and get support and coaching around how to shift their thinking, how to shift their behaviors, what they need to do next. Um, so they're in that learning and growing phase to have somebody that's going to, um, you know, be there to ask great questions, to help move them to the next level, not just individually, but collectively. We, we were with a group and they were like, you know, we were talking about communication and candor and diplomacy and they all prefer candor, but they all act diplomatic. And it was a huge aha for them that they have some of the challenges they have because they're all being so diplomatic with each other when they really need to be more candid and they want to be candid, but they weren't. So that's, that's an example of how we open up a group to go, oh my gosh, this is our behavior and we can change this. This is not that difficult, right? Then we coach them through actually doing that, right? Actually being more candid and, and managing that diplomacy. But that's just an example of a behavior aha and a, another polarity that shifted that whole team. And when you work with teams, do you, well, let's say when you, when you talk to the CEO or the CFO of the hospital at some point, when it's about, are we going to have these coaches or not? What is your experience when you work with teams? Is your experience that this kind of culture change or this transition or this kind of really getting into it, you know, changing habits? Is this, is this an experience of six weeks or six months or a year? Or what is your, when do you typically feel Hmm. Okay. We have arrived at a new level. Like we've reached a new evolution, uh, evolutionary step here in this team. Well, I would just say that it, Tracy's point was spot on. It is a longer coaching program. Um, and we've done a variety. We also kind of meet organizations where they're at, but we also bring the fact that transformation happens over time. That's one thing that's really unique. And I know you guys agree with that too. It, it's not a quick fix. There isn't a silver bullet. You have to, it, it is a transformational journey. And we've done as little as 12 weeks. And then we've extended for another 12 weeks <laughs> to six months. And uh, with our true program, we're coming in as a baseline of 24 weeks. And, you know, that's three months of coaching. And at first there's, um, like, oh my gosh, one more thing to put on my plate. But like I said, kind of going full circle at the beginning of our conversation, they quickly realize this is really important work and they look at it as a gift and um, they're willing to do it for themselves and then also for, for their colleagues. Uh, but we are a quick fix culture. Our, we, we are a quick fix culture. So that's, that's another big message. And we're okay. If they aren't comfortable with that, then that's not the right, that's not the right group for us to work with because they don't understand the need for the ongoing coaching and ongoing support. Yeah. And once we get, like Michelle said, once we get started, then they're like, can we keep going? Yeah. <laughs> can we keep going? we need more of this, right? Or the leaders are yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know, that was incredible. Like, so I think it's just, it's a starting point. 
Mm-hmm. And then you, and then we have them measure their outcomes. So they're actually measuring outcomes so they can see how much they're growing. They can see how much they've changed. They can see the results that they're getting. Um, and so there's a quantitative um, kind of part to that too. So in the outcome assessments that you do, what do you think are the three most important outcomes for individuals and for organizations? So for them to step into the identity of the person that is going to take the actions because you can create a plan, but if you're not the person that's going to take the action, then, you know, it's not going to happen. And we, we have them really chart their kind of their progress and we can tell incrementally how they're stepping into who they've identified they need to be. And I think their, um, their leveraging of dialogue is another critical aspect or outcome on a personal level because they have to be able to have meaningful conversation, um, not only dialogue with others, but dialogue with themselves and how they are communicating with themselves as they're moving through these personal transformations. Those are three key ones that I can think of um, from an outcome perspective. I don't know, Michelle, do you want to add to that or speak to the organization? I think from the organization perspective, we do see trends as well. And we see some crux tensions that need to be leveraged and managed in every organization. I think a common one is the hierarchy within the organization and are what we call uh, vertical and then horizontal, the partnerships within the organization. And healthcare is pretty hierarchical in nature. So we actually help measure that. How well are you connecting the people throughout the organization and how well is the hierarchy within the organization? Because you need both. Again, it's not an either or, you need both. We also help them look at productivity and relationships. Where's the focus? How well are they uh, leveraging that? And then also margin emission is a huge tension uh, in healthcare. So we measure that within organizations as well. So that's a, those are example of some real prominent organizational polarities. Amazing. Dan, any, any final comments from you? I'm just so excited to see not only the intention, wisdom, integrity of connecting to heart, but to sharing that in, in healthcare, what would be that quadruple aim of speaking a language of the hierarchy within healthcare, that they have certain deliverables and the metrics that are associated with the economics behind the whole thing. So once we're speaking and we're landing the polarity in all of these different systems, then everyone is winning and everyone understands that the system as it is now is broken and there is a way through. And once someone sees a problem that's identified in the same way Jan said, you see witnessed and heard, and there's a solution, people are vulnerable and ready to hear it. And that's just what's super excited. I'm so proud of all of us for being on this journey because there is hope and there is change on the way. Yes. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. And it's been a pleasure meeting you. And I think our work is very much aligned and our intentions are the same. And so uh, it's very exciting to meet, you know, all of you. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're looking forward to many more conversations um, that we hope we'll have and see how we can interact and how we can build a field of, of so many who are now increasingly in this field and really wanting to nurture this, this evolution that is, that is very uh, due now. So thank you. Thanks a lot for being on the show. And I hope you enjoyed the chat 
with uh, Michelle and Tracy today. And you can find more information at heartbasedmedicine.org. And I deeply appreciate if I could, uh, if you could <laughs> click subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. And until next time, bye-bye. This has been a Heartbased Medicine production. Thanks for listening.